This episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast is brought to you by TechSmith Academy. TechSmith Academy is a free resource full of practical information to help you create amazing videos and imagery. Check it out at academy.techsmith.com. Welcome to the If You Ask Betty podcast. This podcast is designed to discuss all kinds of development topics for all kinds of learning professionals. I'm your host, Betty Danowitz, and today we're talking with Josh Mayleaf about transitioning into L&D. Hi, Josh. Hello. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Me too. Would you, uh, would you help our listeners get to know you a little bit better? Can you give us a quick intro about you and maybe even how we met? Sure. Quick intro is I currently work as a facilitator in my day job. I am right now running classes largely to do with leadership development and soft skills and have been in the training profession now for going on close to nine years. And that's part of what I think we're going to be talking about as we go through and how I got to where I am now. And as far as how we met, we have a lot of mutual connections. And I noticed a your post coming up in my LinkedIn feed on a regular basis and decided to reach out and connect. And now here we are a few months later talking on a podcast. Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. And that's how a lot of my connections are made is through social media. And I am okay with that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay. So Josh, from when we chatted, I know that L and D is not exactly where you started out. It's not your first career, right? Correct. So tell us your story about how you ended up in L&D. Like what happened? How did you get there? Sure. So my story begins back uh, after college. I was a uh, marketing major and like most marketing majors ended up in a sales role, even though that's not really where I originally saw myself. And I had a fairly good sales career, but the longer I was in it, I knew that it wasn't where I wanted to stay forever. And as I had progressed into management within sales, one of the things that I realized that I really enjoyed in the part of the, the management role that uh, helped me get up in the morning was developing other people, along with a stint uh, in for-profit education that exposed me to some of that, I made the decision that I was going to go become a teacher. And... I went back to school because in order to get my teaching certification and go teach, I had this idea that I was going to be a middle school math teacher. And in order oh, to wow. get, yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, so obviously not where I ended up, but, and, and for a lot of good reasons, but I, I went, I was doing the coursework and a lot of things happened, especially in the local area with education and with the city of Philadelphia specifically, because I'm based in outside of the city of Philadelphia. There was there was a push of a lot of those t experienced teachers came out of the suburbs and there were fewer positions available and it had a bunch of stuff come together, met with my uh, academic advisor who said so to me, have you considered corporate training? And I had not. <laughs> so uh, I then started to look more into that and had the realization that I would really enjoy getting to train and teach adults. Well, some, some adults are kind of like middle schoolers. Yeah. Uh, they can be. And mm -hmm. I've had the experience in some of my roles of training people who were um, first job in the workforce. So people in their 
late teens, early 20s, where to some degree they weren't that far removed from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. high school, at least. And so there are some commonalities there. So that that was the origins of me getting into this, right, of exploring the academic side of, of things and looking at becoming a, a, a public school teacher. But I, I then, when I made that shift, I started studying adult education. I had not necessarily intended to get a degree, but at that point, I was pretty far into it and trying to get the credits I needed for teacher certification and continued on and finished up with a, uh, a master's degree that uh, from Drexel University that they label science of instruction, which is essentially adult education. Gotcha. And by the way, since we're talking about getting into L&D, and I'll touch on this more later, that was my path, and I don't recommend that to others. Seems like the hard way, huh? Uh, it's definitely the, uh, the harder way and the more expensive way. I have the student loans to show for it. <laughs> you know, it, it falls under the category of everything happens for a reason. I wouldn't have reached the point I am now if I hadn't had these experiences. <laughs> but I think there are better ways to go. And a, a big part of becoming successful in the L&D field at least for me, and now I've, I've been through a couple of different positions as I've transitioned to where I wanted to be in my career, was the all the learning that's available out there. The nice thing about the learning and development community is, as people who want to help others learn, there's a lot of opportunities for us to learn and develop as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And that's been a huge part of my journey. I started off uh, originally looking to get involved in was introduced to ATD at both the national and the local level. And as raising my hand to volunteer as so often happens with uh, volunteer-based organizations, I quickly found myself in a position of leadership. Shocking. Shocking. I know, right? (laughs) And I I signed up to be on a committee for programming for the uh, Philadelphia ATD chapter and was very quickly the Vice President of Programming, as uh, my predecessor had decided that she uh, was ready to move on. And uh, being naive at the time, I said, this should be fun. And, <laughs> and, uh, and to be fair, there are elements that were, but it was a fantastic development and networking opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I have met so many people lately that have made this similar jump that you're talking about, like Sometimes it's K through 12 or higher education uh, and some like yourself from the line of business. Right. Um, And some of them have even come on the If You Ask Betty podcast and shared their story. This is just such a common thing that I've heard lately. Uh, So you mentioned Philadelphia. You Uh mentioned. Yeah. So you're doing some work there with some some crazy group called the Learning and Development Professionals of Greater Philadelphia. Yeah, so that is part of the next piece of my story. Okay, tell me. As I mentioned, uh, I was on the board of the ATD Philadelphia chapter and had a good period of time there where I was able to help contribute and build up some of the programming. And eventually, I ended up leaving the board because the chapter was taking a different direction than I was really interested in. But I wasn't... in. I didn't lose my interest or desire to continue to serve the learning and development community. 
And that ended up being also fortuitous in that I, I connected with some other people who I had met through my time in the ATD chapter. And together, uh, we founded a group called the Learning and Development Professionals of Greater Philadelphia. Oh, so you're responsible for that group of yahoos. That would be true. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, kind of. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, No, that's an accurate description. Uh, <laughs> so I, I started it with uh, uh, my partner in crime. Uh, his name is John Laskowski. So we've been running this organization for six years now, and we started it with two things in mind. It was to, well, actually, let me put it this way. I had two goals in mind, and they've been the same reasons that I got involved with ATD originally and why I get involved with any kind of uh, professional development organization. One was to continue to grow and provide for my own professional development. There's the always the question out there of, who trains the trainer? You know, mm -hmm. Being part of multiple L&D organizations, we're responsible for the growth and development of the rest of the, the company, but who's training us? Right. And, and so that was goal number one. And goal number two was to build my network and to maintain, to build and maintain the network, I should say. And so this organization has allowed me to do that somewhat selfishly, but at the same time, provide that for the, the community which uh, until we had a pandemic was very much geographically based for those in the Philadelphia area. Makes sense. Now with uh, the, the virtual world as it is, I'll throw in my quick shameless plug here uh, for anybody who's listening to this. We're running all kinds of events and we've had participants from across the world. Mm -hmm. So you can find us at ldphilly.com. That's a nice shameless plug. It was a good shameless plug. It was real good. Yep. Well done. <laughs> so I, I back to what you were asking about before. I, I believe we were talking about other people making the transition. Yeah. And so now that we set the table as to what, as you put it, the group of yahoos is uh, up yeah. to. <laughs> Being that I'm in that position and I have been able to build a, a good network, I've been contacted, and especially when we were at, when things were really starting to, get bad with uh, the pandemic, I had a lot of people reach out to me who were looking for other options. As you, as you mentioned previously, some came from K-12 who were teachers and now so the, this whole thing of what are, and, and God bless the teachers who are out there right now teaching virtually to, to some of the younger kids. Uh, you know, my experience with virtual delivery and I'm working with adults has been, I, I'm really enjoying it actually, but there's a lot of challenges there. And I can only imagine what's going on for those teachers who have to do this with uh, children and try to keep their attention in a virtual platform. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of teachers out there who realize they this isn't what they signed up for and not sure how long it's going to go. And just some concern of what else is out there. It wasn't just those people, though. I mean, the, the other thing that I think is important to understand about how people get into training, because I left this part out of my story a little bit, yeah, is most people find themselves in training because they got really good at something and they were asked to train other people to do what they got really good at. That's like 99% of the stories. It, it really is. And so there's a reason that, you know, a lot of people, and I was in this situation too, my first training job was 
I had been working in retail sales. I was at a, um, selling cell phones. And I ended up training other people how to do that. And so with a lot of uh, companies, unfortunately, having to lay people off, many of these trainers who had been in that role, they had gotten really good at what they were doing and now training other people, but were unsure how to take that and use that experience to move to somewhere else where they are coming in as a trainer now instead of moving up through the ranks. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a challenge. It was, it was a challenge for me. As I mentioned, I, I came up that way. And my first couple of jobs in training were in the same industry. And knowing that I eventually wanted to progress into other things, I had to make steps to uh, move in a different direction in a little bit of a gradual path. So I, I, I wanted to be in a situation where these people are approaching me and a lot of them had no idea how the greater L&D world works, what skills are needed. I, I think the biggest piece out there that people seem to not grasp because it's, it's very different for our field is what an interview looks like in mm -hmm. L&D. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, like, so I think they wonder, what does an interview look like? You know, it, they're always shocked when they have to do a teach back. They're surprised when their interview requires them to actually teach something, especially when they're first coming into that. Yeah, I, and I'd agree with that. I've been uh, on both sides of the interview process in the last year. I was in a position previously where I was hiring people, and then I had to go through an interview for my current role. And I've actually helped interview some other of my new uh, teammates now. So got some exposure to both sides of it. And you're right. I think there's a big surprise there. And although throughout my career in L&D, every position I've ever applied for has required some sort of presentation. Yeah. But if you've gone from being an accountant, you probably didn't have to present about numbers. Unlikely. It's unlikely. Well, let's, and I like what you're saying, because so let's go down this path with the interview, right? So like you mentioned, you've you've interviewed for L and D, and you've interviewed other people. What what would you say? Let's start with the interview. As an interviewee, what was the keys to success for you? Like what worked really well for you when you were an interviewee moving into a learning and development position? Great question. And, and I want to start off by uh, explaining a little bit about how I consider myself here too. I will tell you that I am first and foremost a facilitator. However, I, the other thing is that most people, as they move through L&D, realize that you need to be a jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. And so even though I consider myself a facilitator, I have to design things as well. And part of that interview piece is really everything's on display because you have to come in and present something original and that requires a well-designed presentation. So we're talking about the visuals. We're talking about having good content so the, and the structure and the delivery. Mm -hmm. And up until my most recent role, that the delivery piece was always in person. And so, or at least most of the time, I say that now, I, I did have one other remote interview that I did along the way. But most of the time, you're going to be in person. So now we've got one other element that we get to add into the equation as part of this is now you, you're on display for your ability to 
train virtually. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot going on there. The, the, the keys for success to me were, I had done some of this kind of interviewing before, but I realized that I needed to step up my game as far as what the, the visual aspects of it were going to be especially being that it's now virtual. And while my picture would be up on the screen along with it, a large chunk of what you're going to see is the slides, assuming mm -hmm. you're using slides in a presentation. Right. And they don't all have to have them, but I think most people do. So that was step one. And this is where the network comes in handy. I, I, I was very fortunate to get some good advice and some good resources. And specifically, I had a, a, a conversation with uh, Karen North, uh, and I want to give her a quick shout out because she was phenomenally helpful. And um, I get a lot of good design tips from her. And for back to the social media thing, she's a good follow for those listening if you're not following her currently. Mm -hmm. and, and really was able to get some good resources. And this is one of the things I share with people. It's you don't need to use the basic PowerPoint templates. You don't have to create things from scratch. You know, and there's plenty of resources out there. I was able to find a really good template, some great photographs to use as visuals, and really up my game as to what my presentation looked like. And I think that's really important because as soon as you throw your slides up on the screen, that's now part of the total package that your prospective employer is looking at and evaluating you on. Yeah. So where, what were it? You want to drop a name of a place that you found good templates? Uh, slide Carnival is what I've been using. Oh, that's fun. Slide Carnival. Do, 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 do. Sorry. That's what I heard when you said that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize I was going to get the musical accompaniment. Sorry. But it was nice. It's happened. Uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Canva too. Canva uh, has a ton of great templates and um, it's either cheap or free. So yeah. Good. Well, there you go. Two, two, two resources out there for you. Yeah. And the slide carnival uh, uh, one is free as well. And then I've seen, especially lately, a lot of resources come up on the photo ends. Um, the one I go to first uh, tends to be unsplash mm -hmm. as well as if you're looking for more diversity types of pictures, there's uh pexels. Yep. Pexels is good. What about sounds? Do you ever, do you ever pull sounds? I haven't for this specifically, although another one that I saw recently was a site that has royalty-free stock video. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is yeah, just interesting. Be, just be careful because it may be royalty-free, but that don't mean it's free. Yeah, true. There's uh, there, there's stipulations in there and explanations of the attributions you need mm -hmm. to give, especially if there's any kind of commercial application behind it. Yeah, yeah. I like also freesounds.org, which is... um great for like sound effects because it's like a, it's like a crowdsourced listing of sound effects. So there's literally somebody in there took, you know, I, I pulled actually, it's funny that you say that, that we were talking about this. I pulled carnival sounds from there <laughs> and that somebody literally was at a carnival or a fair and recorded them and then uploaded it there. So, so I was able to do that. Can we edit those in in post to make it sound good? Yeah, <laughs> I'll do that. <sighs> so, so yeah, there, there's a wide variety of resources out there, which is nice. And I, and I think that, you know, skipping a little bit ahead for what you, um, to the idea of view, being on the evaluation side of it. Yeah. I, I was really surprised by some of the, 
presentations that I saw coming in for interviews that didn't use any of those tools. Mm-hmm. And the the disappointment I had, I, I, there were cases where I, I would interview somebody, have a great interview. And, and then when we got to the point of the presentation and it was just such a letdown. Yeah, that's a shame. I And sometimes it's not for lack of preparation. It's just a lack of skill. They just don't they just don't know what their presentation needs to look like, feel like, sound like. So they may have spent plenty of time on it, but it's just not what you're looking for. Definitely. And and I think it's somewhat of a lack of experience and partially too. So there's a couple of people I've worked with and, and, and I'll share, share an example and with, without having to identify anybody individually. So, you know, we'll uh, hide the names to protect the innocent. I mean, if you want to, I mean, I'm not afraid to name drop, so. <laughs> not in this case, because well-intentioned, okay. but, okay. Uh, you know, if, if somebody wrongs me, we'll go a different path. Uh, in this situation, though, and I've had it multiple times, but there's one person in particular I'm thinking of where they had the training experience but and had been in the same organization for a period of years. But in that organization, it was segmented and their responsibility was to take material they were handed and to deliver it. So their job was not to build out the material. Mm-hmm. And then again, layoff comes and they need to find a new job. And yeah. now you're in that position of having to build a presentation. So you might be fantastic at being able to deliver it, but if you don't have the content to, and uh, to deliver in the quality presentation, then even if you're the best facilitator in the world, you're not going to shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's sort of one of the, the biggest issues with them wanting you to be a jack of all trades and wanting you to know how to do everything from soup to nuts and is that you can't really get good at any one thing, or if you do, something else suffers. Uh, so, so yeah. So like I came from my previous well, way, way back. Okay. Hold on. We're going to go in the way back time machine. To... <laughs> is there a sound effect for that? <sighs> Did that sound like a way back time machine? I think it was just me whistling anyways. Um, but yeah, so like way back a long time ago, like 15 years ago, I worked for um, a bank, a Midwest bank, and we had exactly what you just described, where everybody sort of did their own job. We had performance consultants and instructional designers and multimedia developers and um, administrative folks, and we had facilitators, and the facilitators just facilitated. That's all they did. Sometimes they would, like, consult with the instructional designer, especially if it was a matter of updating a current course that they already taught. But other than that, like for the most part, they just facilitated and we didn't stay that way forever, but for quite a long time. And then when it, like, just like you said, when it was time for, to move on to a new company or try to get new exposure to different things, different industries, whatever it is you'd like to do, you know, your resume shows that you facilitate the bejesus out of stuff, but you have absolutely no line items that have anything to do with design, LMS administration, nothing, because you didn't do those things. Right. And it was fine for that job. It was. But, but to move on? Ew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'll tell you, that that brings up another thing about filling out the resume. And it, it's a combination of things. It's filling out the resume, having a broader perspective, but in some degrees, it's checking a box. And what I mean by that is, uh, as I was working on making sure that I 
had the right skill set I was going to need for future roles. One of the things that I did was take a storyline certification class. Mm -hmm. I don't ever really want to be a full-time ID. I don't want to design e-learnings. However, I took the class. And the mm -hmm. reason I took the class was, well, actually, there's a couple of reasons. For, for one reason was it did actually help me work with other IDs at, at my job to be able to give feedback in uh, courses they were putting together that I had input on. But that was a small piece of it. Another piece of it was I had been looking at job descriptions and was surprised how often jobs that were for a role of a facilitator had listed as one of the requirements to be able to design e-learning. Mm -hmm. And I am here to tell you that if I put one together, I could put a, a course together that would be functional and would work. It is not one that mo that any IDs listening to this would uh, think, well, let's just say they would not rate it highly. Well, and I think you're not alone in that, right? Because, because people who really specialize in facilitating they facilitate a lot. There's not a whole lot of time left to learn how to, you know, create storyline and you know, create e-learning on storyline and and do this and do that and triggers and stages and is it stages? <laughs> I feel like that's not right. You're asking the wrong person. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so um, I would know if I was looking at it, but you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember. So so yeah, so there's no time for that. Not if you're a good facilitator. Hey there, I got to pause the show for just a minute to talk a little more about TechSmith Academy. I recently stumbled upon this awesome resource and I was very impressed. TechSmith Academy is a free resource full of practical information to help you create amazing videos and imagery. One particular course in the Academy is called Advice from Experienced Learning Professionals for Anyone Creating Training. This is not just hot tips, but comprehensive interviews with 14 experts. Experts like Bob Pike, Kara North, Craig Siebert, Debbie Richards, Joe Ganchi, Kevin Thorne, Tim Slade, and more. These awesome experts provide their personal insight for all aspects of training. This is just one of the many awesome resources that you'll find. Check it out today at academy.techsmith.com. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, and I have met some people throughout my career who were great designers and also great facilitators. Mm -hmm. And if you can find one of those, latch on. Mm -hmm. they're, 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 they're few and far between and probably very overworked. But Agre Agreed. <laughs> but many IDs don't like talking to people, at least not in public. In public. And for me as a, uh, you know, for partially being a facilitator and partially just my whole style. If I had to spend that much time staring at a computer screen without getting to talk to other people, I think I would lose my mind. So, so it's interesting you bring that up because I wonder if we were to, if we were able to actually like take a survey, how many facilitators are extroverted and IDs are introverted? Is that just like a natural thing based on the type of work that they do? Or if we were to even take take it past that, right? Past extro and introversion and look at, okay, also if we were to look at like the disc scale, right? Yep. Our IDs, Cs and Ss, you better believe they are, 
and are facilitators I's and D's. Yes, we are. Yes. Yes, we are. That's real interesting. And and I've been uh, preparing to teach some DISC too. So I have that on top of my mind as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, to anybody listening to this, you will all be shocked potentially from listening to me so far, but um, my eye almost goes off the chart. Yep. And so I, I'm an example of part of what you're talking about. Having said that, uh, I, I've worked with and for some excellent facilitators who are introverted. Yeah. Uh, they got off They got off the stage and didn't want to talk. But they play an extrovert on TV. I would agree with that. Yeah. So with the disc piece, right, it's the adapted style side of it. Yeah. yeah. And so if you, if you can turn that switch, I think the difference is that for me as a facilitator, at the end of a day where I have taught classes, I may be a little physically tired, but I'm pretty energized. Yes. Where, whereas at the end of a day where I've done heads down work, I, I am, I'm out of gas. Yep. Same, same. And that's that extroversion part. And by the way, I am a high, uh, almost off the charts ID, like very close to the D line. So I want to talk about it and then I want you to hurry up and do it. Like what's (laughs) taking you so long? Like that's me. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so I, I feel you on that. So yeah, that's that that's that whole energy thing, right? And the extroversion, like because we get energy from talking to other people. It's mental energy more than physical energy because it's exhausting, especially in person training, to stand and talk for eight hours. So those those ideas that are listening that have never done that, it's like I mean we're basically training for the marathon of life. I mean if you've ever taught in person, eight hour a day class that's five days or more a week. I mean, you deserve all of the, all of the brownies. You deserve all of the chips and salsa because it's so tiring. Just talking about it's making me tired, but I also really want to do it. I I miss being in the classroom, especially and for, for good or bad, uh, virtual classes. I've been doing a lot of half day classes, but that you, I I think that's a good rule of thumb for the extent that Mm -hmm. they can go. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was teaching, uh, at multiple different times in my career, I've taught those week long full day classes and yeah, I slept all those Friday nights for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, we're talking eight o'clock Friday night. I'm, I'm out for the count. Yes. Um, <laughs> physically, mentally, I could probably still, you know, read a book and, you know, do a podcast, but physically my body says no. So yeah, it's draining. And I mean, to some extent, even the virtual side of things is because it's a little bit more compressed. I, I have found that virtual training, sometimes I'm even more tired after doing extended classes, but, Mm -hmm. and that physical tired, not the mental side of it, which which is a whole thing. And, you know, wrapping this back around. So now you've got people who need to go apply or interview for these jobs, Mm -hmm. right? And whether or not they've, there are some who are the introverts, so they got to step that up. There's the IDs who may need to do some presentation things. That might be a challenge. Although a lot of times when I talk about prepping for the L&D interview, for, I, I'm really talking more about the facilitator interview. Sure. Because the ID interview may have some element of that, but it's also likely to have some sort of uh, portfolio assignment. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot that comes to the table there. And you're on display because, well, that's how what, what facilitating is. You're in front of a room. But it, it's also what makes it even worse 
and the fact that there's the pressure of being an interview is those interview presentations are some of the hardest presentations I've ever had to give. Mm -hmm. And it's because of what the directions are. And, and, and for those listening along and for you too, Betty, I, I assume there's going to be a lot of head nodding. As I say this, the directions for almost every interview are speak on a topic of your choice for 15 to 20 minutes. <laughs> Go. <laughs> and, and, and it's just like, what? Right. This violates everything I know about adult learning theory. Right, exactly. And I'll, I will give you the opposite. So the last time I interviewed for a position in which I was going to have to be facilitating. So this is recently, right? Like within the last year, I interviewed for a job. The last part of the interview was, you know, you got to you got to facilitate a piece. It was it was internally at my company. So they gave me a piece of a program that was already out there. So give me the facilitator manual. And they're like, here you go. You know, this is what we want you to do. No, nothing additional other than we, here's the facilitator manual. Follow the instructions on how to facilitate this course. So, Josh, we've known each other for at least a minute. <laughs> I, I mean, can you imagine that I'm going to just verbatim follow what it says? No. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a trap, too, because if you read it, you're sunk. Right. If I read it, I'm sunk. If I don't read it or if I just somehow cover it with passion, but I miss something, I'm sunk, which is exactly what happened because I hit the highlights as I thought I should as a seasoned facilitator, knowing that these people that are listening really don't care about the content because they already know the content. Right. And so knowing that and guess what? I did not get high marks. I did not. That's tough too, because even if you're the, even if your skills are high, you go into some of these and maybe you're not the right fit for that position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, um, I, I said something like, there was something about this, this particular action will happen in, in the first 48 hours of employment or something like that. And I was like, sometimes it doesn't happen that day, but it'll be there the next day because I was using my personal experience that that translated into doesn't follow the rules. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I, it, what, that reminds me of a, of, a, of a story, too, in that one of the interviews that I did from the hiring side, I had somebody come in and we had given those directions. So, again, the idea of 15 to 20 minutes topic of your choice and the topic that this person selected was to do a module about the products that they would that we were training for that position to a room full of people who were experts on that <laughs> material. That was a bad call. Yeah, and, and, and as you, that did not go well, right? Because they were also basing that on some publicly available marketing material, and were all, also was not a user of those products. And so that was disastrous. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an understatement. It, it, it was painful. And, and so, again, this whole idea is the training interview, at least in my opinion, is unfair. And it's also like a rite of passage. It's kind of like hazing in college. I went through it, so now it's your turn. You're so right. It is a hazing. It's it's a corporate hazing. Little bit. Oh, my gosh. I love it. So so what was the what was the craziest topic 
that you ever witnessed somebody do this whole 15 minutes about whatever you want to talk about? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because there is one and it, it didn't even take me long to think of it. And, and it's to the point where the, this interview happened about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And recently I got a text message from a former coworker who had found some notes from that presentation in a drawer and brought it up again and we had a good laugh over it. Um, and I'll apologize if that person happens to be listening, but it was a whole presentation on, I want to say sewing, and that's not even accurate. It was using a specific type of machine to do a technique behind it. Like, like embroidery? Uh, not even it was, I, I, I'll, it'll probably come back to me later because mm. I can picture it and, and I forget what it was called and I'll be able to, I, I'd be able to get it later, but it was very detailed and something that she was passionate about, but the presentation itself was a mess. One, it also included the fact that she brought in equipment with her and this was like, it, it's like a sewing machine, but not. Okay. And I, and that, that's the best explanation I have. I'm, I'm not artsy and craftsy or whatever the right way to say that is. Uh, but it was very well intended, but as those of us who have ever done live demos can attest to, they can go really well or not. Uh-huh. And the topic didn't necessarily resonate with the room, but that was okay. Yeah, yeah. And there, there were technical problems during setup, and we were still pretty lenient. And I call time on these things. Now, granted, sure, I don't sure. want, I, I don't ring the gong, mm-hmm. but it was like, nice okay, it's like, I, yeah, I try. I was like, you've hit time. You want, can you, can you wrap it up? Yeah. And five minutes after that, when it wasn't wrapped up, I tried to then give the hook. Yes. Right. <laughs> and it's, and it didn't work. <laughs> oh, and we probably knew about 10 minutes into the presentation that it wasn't going to happen. And this wasn't a fit. Yeah. But we ended up seeing 25 to 30 minutes of a presentation. Well, now you can do whatever that sewing thing was or not. Unf- unfortunately know. not. <laughs> uh, if I, at least I had gained a skill, but, and, and that's the thing, right? When, when you're preparing for one of these, and I feel like this is a, an important point uh, to this whole process. As I started to say earlier, it's a really unfair setup. Yeah. Because if I, any other, any other time or place that I was going to run a class, the first thing that I want to do as a, as, as a good L and D professional is do a needs assessment. Sure. Sure. Right. And as a good facilitator, let's say the material has been provided for me. The first thing I want to do is be able to know what the whole setup is going to be. Yeah. What's my, what's my room look like, or at least in a zoom world, let me rephrase that in a virtual world. Is it zoom? Is it WebEx? Is it connect? What platform are they using? Do you think though, do you think if you're new to L and D that you think of those things or do you think that that's just because you're a seasoned facilitator? Uh, You're right. If you're new to it, you might not think about it. And which is why I've seen people fall into some of these pitfalls. Yeah. Right. And so it's a, it's a trick to some degree or to, you have to be prepared. So I've, I personally lean towards at least a topic where I either have an interest or it's going to be relevant to what I'm doing, but it's not necessarily something that people are expert on. That, yeah. That's first of all. Second of all, 
I build in a little bit of that assessment into the beginning of my of my presentation. Yeah. And I think and I think that's helpful. And I'll give you an example. So the most recent interview that I did, which is for the position I currently work in, it's a soft skills and uh, leadership development uh, training role, like I mentioned. And I leaned into that and, and did a presentation on coaching. Now, I made the assumption, and it was about how, how to do coaching, real basic level stuff, though. And I made the assumption that they were going to have some level of knowledge of it. Mm. And, and I started my presentation after I did a brief intro of, or actually, let me phrase that, as part of the intros, and I introduced myself, and as part of their intros, I asked them to tell me how much management experience they had. And I had enough leeway in the way I was facilitating the position that what I found out they all had somewhat significant amounts of leadership experience that I was able to change the way I interacted and was able to draw them in a lot more as a result. Mm -hmm. And so that's helpful. Yeah. Being adaptable is really important. Yeah. I was giving some advice uh, recently to uh, one of the job hunters who's approached me and she was doing, she chose to do a presentation that revolved around cooking. Mm. And similarly, she started her presentation with asking about the experience level or, and or the interest uh, that her audience had in cooking. So you can gauge what's going on in the room and try to make some adaptation to it. Right. One of the funnest ones I ever had uh, was a guy taught us about ultimate Frisbee, Ooh. which I didn't know. I didn't know was a thing, but now I do. Apparently it's a thing. It's like football and frisbee together or something he's probably laughing at me right now because i probably got that totally wrong but no i think that's about right you got you got to go hang out on some college campuses more i guess to see yeah, that in action I, I guess i'm a little i'm a little further removed from college than this gentleman was so, <laughs> so yeah. i think they played on a golf course or something too yeah, but i'm not the right that's one disc this. golf no that's disc golf oh, that's a little okay. bit different yeah i know that's my one. cred you did you totally lost your cred okay so let's as we wrap this up here uh, what resources would you recommend to sort of help those that are interviewing so that they're fully prepared? Like, what's your biggest piece of advice? Good question. So, so the biggest piece of advice is do as much research as you can and get as much information as you can going into it. It's that whole preparation piece that I was talking about. As experienced trainers know, the more prep you do and the better prepared you are for any class, the better you're going to look in the moment. Mm -hmm. And to the, to the point, too, of this being an unfair process, and I still think it is, despite the fact that I do it anyway, is that you're potentially walking into a group where you don't know any of the backgrounds of any of the people. You don't know, and that includes, in some cases, how many people are even going to be in the room, which has, has been more of a challenge for me in in-person interviews, because I didn't even know if I was going to bring handouts, how many do I bring? Sure. Right. And so you have to over-prepare. Uh, and, and so prepare, 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 ha, including to what I was alluding to earlier, have some flexibility potentially so that if you need to expand in an area and maybe contrast another area that you can make that work. Uh, and whatever rules you're given, stick to them because again, the time is a big piece of it. Uh, you want to make sure you stay within the time frame. You want to make sure whatever other guidelines they give you as to topic you're adhering to, because otherwise you do lose points. You do. I am. I am proof of that. <laughs> I, I've experienced it as well. I, I'll tell you what. The other thing is 
and this is a big one that I, back to those people who are inexperienced at it. I learned this the hard way. And I look back at the first interviews that I did when I was breaking into L and D and I cringe. Mm-hmm. Even though the directions may say it's a 15 to 20 minute presentation, nobody wants to see a presentation. Right. Uh, I think I, I think I got up and then like, I'm thinking the one specific one was one of the first ones I ever did. I think I gave a fantastic speech. My visuals were good. Tone was good. My presentation was good. And I talked for 15 to 20 minutes straight. I don't even know that I took a breath. Probably not. No. And that's not, if you think about the classes that you've attended as, and what you want a good instructor to be, Mm -hmm. it's not a big talking head. Right. Agreed. And so when you build this out again, everything else I said with the prep and the flexibility, but, and part of the reason you need that flexibility is because it should be interactive. So use the tools that you have available. So as far as resources, I'm a big fan of doing polling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've, I I used poll everywhere on my last interview. That's another one. If you, if people haven't used, I recommend checking out those plant, they have plans that started free and go up from there. There's depending what you're doing, you could potentially use Kahoot, sure. which is a fun one to get people involved. I'm a fan. I, I am a big fan as well. It's it seems to really get people's energy up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that can be good, too. The challenge is making sure that you understand that you it, the time can it's a little bit harder to control the amount of time that's going to take as you interact with people, because some people may try to talk a lot. And so it still involves keeping control. But your presentations are going to go much better if you involve your audience, which is true, which is a good rule of thumb for teaching a class. And it gives the people who you're interacting with a chance to talk a little bit about themselves when you're involving them in participating. And as we all know, what's our favorite topics? Well, I like to talk about myself. Yeah, I I do, too. I have to admit that. Okay, good. Well, that's good advice. So as we are wrapping up, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions that I ask all of my guests. So the first question is this, how do you align your passion with your work? A couple of ways. With my day job, what I'm doing is helping people develop and be better leaders. So I really get fulfillment out of helping people grow. And as I tell everybody, my hobby is running a professional association we've discussed with L&D Philly. Mm -hmm. And so that helps align it too, is that what I do with that and building the community, then I have had the opportunity to meet people and learn things I would not have been able to if I wasn't involved with running that organization. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you've channeled your passion into that organization. That's really cool. And I'm sure that there are couple other yahoos that are really happy that you did it too. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, here's the next question. What is the message that you want to get out to our listeners? What do you want them to remember? It can be topic related or not. That's a, that's a good one too. So especially being with the topic, uh, I would say that the L and D community is a fantastic community mm-hmm. and become an active part of it. even if some of that is just participating and attending webinars, going to events when that's a thing again, possibly conferences that become part of the community and actively, if possible, 
And networking has served me fantastically well throughout my career. And I want to add one more element to all of that. There is nothing wrong with asking people for help when you network. Mm -hmm. But what good networkers have learned over time is that the way you can, is that it should be somewhat reciprocal. You should always be a good networker should always be asking what they can do to help somebody else as well. Even if you don't have anything to offer at the moment, you may, you want to put it out in the universe and ask, what can I do for you? And always be thinking about those kind of things. That's a great message. Thank you. It pays off in spades. It definitely does. You reap what you sow. I'm just going to keep throwing out, uh, you know, (laughs) these until I run out. Analogies. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. (laughs) All those things. All right, cool. Uh, How can people connect with you if they want to after the show? Well, as I said, networking is a wonderful thing. It is. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn and making it easy there. I am the only Josh Mayleaf on LinkedIn. So do a quick search and it's M-A-L-E-E-F-F. I'm sorry, I did not pick the spelling. (laughs) And the other way is uh, I am on Twitter. You can find me. I I, I signed up a long time ago, so I actually managed to get a semi-interesting handle. So I am at Joshing. Oh, that's fun. At Joshing. I like it. Thank you. You Learning and development, they love the Twitter. They love it. Yeah, I you know what? I, I recommend Twitter for and that's another good point. I recommend Twitter for L and D people. Yeah. I, I will tell you my Twitter feed is a weird mix of Philadelphia sports and L and D stuff. But yeah. uh I I am my most active tweeting when I've attended L and D events. Yes. Uh, and specifically, uh, you know, I've I've gone to the ATD International Conference multiple years and have managed to meet some very interesting people IRL. Because I was tweeting at them and with them at conferences. Yeah. By the way, the fact that I just said IRL made me cringe a little bit, but I'm trying to stay hip with the younger listeners out there. Yeah. I don't think anybody says IRL anymore, Josh. I'm out. Oh, it was worth a try. (laughs) It was. All right. Well, thank you so much, Josh Bailey, for sharing your thoughts today. And thank you so much, listeners. Watch for another episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast soon. Peace out.